Hi there, this is Pastor Woods, and I just want to wish you a very Merry Christmas. As that thought comes to me, let's talk about Bethlehem and the manger. In fact, I've entitled this, Let's Go to Bethlehem. Luke chapter 2, verses 4 through 18 in the ESV says, And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David to be registered with Mary his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes or cloths and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. In the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone round them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angel went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. Well, I was thinking about all the different times people put up little manger displays and, and you know, celebrate Christmas, celebrate the fact that Christ was, we're celebrating his birthday. I, I want to ask the question, who's in your manger display? Marty's dad, years ago, made the Woods Home a, a old manger display type thing. It was a little wooden stable. Marty added tasteful interior lighting and ceramic figures. There were three kings with camels and shepherds and sheep, cows and donkeys and an angel or two, Joseph and Mary and baby Jesus. Some people hide baby Jesus until Christmas. If we did, we'd probably lose him, so we don't take any chances. We don't ever want to lose Jesus. One pastor said his family had an adult Jesus that his kids added to their nativity set. He's not sure where the adult Jesus came from. Maybe he fell off the Last Supper set. They added him to the manger scene because their display has room for everyone. Christmas has become a conglomeration of stories. Lots of different episodes are bunched together in our traditions. And a lot of it is just traditional. Uh, if you want to read the true Christmas story, read in Luke or Matthew and see what it really says. Just who came to see baby Jesus on Christmas night? Well, the Holy Family was there. The shepherds showed up in the dark, but the wise men took their time. It may have been up to two years before they arrived. What about the camels and ox and donkey? The Bible doesn't mention them, but it 
seems reasonable that some of them were there. There certainly was not a drummer boy. Can you imagine Mary, after just delivering a baby, having a little kid come in and whack on a drum? I don't think so. Anyhow, the important truth remains there's a sense in which everyone's welcome in a manger display. The whole world is invited, in fact. Let's look at who was there. God included the humble. Shepherds were there. Being a shepherd was a lowly job. They were outcasts because of their contact with dirty animals and, you know, the smell uh, of being around these animals and not bathing and things could really mess up their social gatherings. And so they weren't invited to places that uh, where there were influential rich people there. God loves uh, what society calls the little people. They're important to him. He loves them so much that he became one of them. Jesus was born poor in a backwater country. He had the power and wealth of the universe that he had created, but he stepped away from that when he came down to uh, take on the form of men. In fact, John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3 tells us that in the beginning, God was there, Jesus was there, he was the Word, and, and that he had created everything for his pleasure, but now he did without power and money. And he came so that he could identify with the poor folks who don't have all the riches and wealth that some people do. He surrounded himself with average people. It's still true today. Most followers of Jesus are pretty average. This is highlighted when you look at, at uh, the elite. A large percentage of people that are newsmakers don't believe in or respect Jesus. That's too bad. That's to their detriment. How sad because when America was young, it was a prerequisite that you had to believe in God and have a relationship with him if you're going to serve in any public office. God also included the influential, not just the poor, but the rich, the influential. Magi had high status in their society. They were religious elites. The Magi were certainly rich as shown by their gifts. Some influential people still believe, you know, that, that God is the answer. I, I've been very impressed with Mike Johnson, the new Speaker of the House of Representatives, and how he has taken a stand for the Bible and for Jesus Christ. I was thinking about Chuck Norris, who has quite a testimony, and I understand Sam Walton, the originator of Walmart, was a Christian. They are in the ranks of Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, powerful Jews who believed in Jesus but were careful not to draw too much attention to themselves and to their beliefs. God included the sinful there at the manger. Of course, everyone there was a sinner except baby Jesus who never sinned, who stepped into history, took on our sins, and, and was only able to sacrifice his life as an adult because he had never sinned himself, so he could pay for yours and my sins. The Bible says this is a human condition. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. 
That means you sinned, I've sinned. We need somebody to forgive us of our sins. We cannot do it on our own. Only Jesus Christ, God's only begotten Son, is worthy to do the job for us. But some people will argue, well, some people are much more sinful than others. Much more? Listen, the Bible says sin is sin. And if you have not confessed your sins to Jesus Christ, you are potentially going to end up in hell. But you don't have to because Christ has offered a way for you to be forgiven of your sins and become part of his kingdom. One important sinner was not there at the manger, but he sure would have liked to have been, and that was King Herod. Herod's only concern was to eliminate a potential rival. So he, com he committed an atrocity when he heard about Jesus. He wanted to kill Jesus, and in the process, in order to try to reach him, he killed all the little boys too and under in Bethlehem. You know, I, I need to tell you that Herod was so wicked and so jealous for his throne that he killed his favorite wife and her mother. He killed three of his sons because he felt like his throne was being threatened. And so, of course, you know, when he heard about Jesus being born the king of the Jews, he wanted to kill Jesus too. But God knew what was going on and God moved Jesus on into Egypt to protect him. You know, today we might be hauled, or Herod might be hauled before an international court. Probably not, the way things are going in our society today. Even today, those in power throw their weight around without much fear of consequences. Herod ended his life without thinking much about or without accepting Jesus as his Savior. Sinners were welcome at the manger, but not Herod, because he never wanted to repent. He wanted to kill. I read about a TV commercial that was put on by advertising a United Church of Christ, and in it it showed church bouncers, big beefy guys guarding a velvet rope across the front of a church. Black children were turned away if they showed up for church. The same with same-sex couples. Even a Hispanic girl was turned away. Only a well-dressed white family was allowed to come in. Finally, in that commercial, the words appeared on the screen, Jesus didn't turn people away, neither do we. The obvious implication was, our church welcomes everyone, but yours doesn't. The Christian response should be, everyone is welcome, not everyone is, uh, and everyone is challenged. I want you to know there are no bouncers at the First Baptist Church here in Holbrook where I'm preaching right now. Anyone can come, and I hope you will come and become a part of what we're doing. My favorite daydream in years past was when I pastored in Phoenix, Deer Valley Church, the Nazarene. There was a rough motorcycle club on 19th Avenue, and I, I thought, you know, it'd be kind of cool if they were to show up on a Christmas Eve and I could tell them about the gospel of Jesus Christ. But, you know, at Deer Valley Church, the Nazarene, when that element of people would show up for church, the decent people, the respectable people, left. 
we started a fishing hole and that was a, a, a ministry that reached a lot of people that were really, you know, not what you would consider Christian. There were drug people, there were people in the occult, there was all kinds of street people. And so when we started reaching people who were a little rougher than most uh, clean, well-established Christians at the church, suddenly many of those Christians felt called to go to another church. But I want you to know, we welcome everybody at the church now, but to really be one of us as a member is a little different. The entrance requirements are listed in the Bible. If you want to join the church, you need to believe you need to repent of your sins. You need to follow and obey Jesus Christ. God accepts you just as you are, but he won't leave you that way. You must change to be part of the family of God. Salvation requires a commitment and a change. God will bring the changes, but you must be open to them. Don't you know, a lot of people say, try to give God an ultimatum. Well, if you want me to serve you, you don't do that. You're not coming in on your terms. You're coming in on God's terms, and God's terms are always right. Follow Jesus' example. He accepted outcasts, prostitutes, alcoholics, sinners. To the woman caught in adultery, he said, go and sin no more. You need to know that Jesus' sacrifice was pro has provided freedom from sin. It's not, uh, let me say that again. Jesus' sacrifice has provided freedom from sin and its consequences, not freedom to sin. I, I get so worried about people who think that years ago, I, uh, I asked Jesus to come in my heart. Maybe I repeated a phrase somebody told me to repeat, but now I'm living just like any other sinner. Listen, friend, you need to know that God's not going to allow sin into his heaven. Jesus' sacrifice has provided freedom from sin and its consequences. It is not freedom to sin. So a genuine Christian church requires no less, and a genuine Christian wants to be all that God wants him to be. Well, also at the manger was the holy. Angels were part of the nativity, made up part of the supernatural component. They were pure, they were powerful, their purpose is to serve Christians. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 14 says, are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation. And then Jesus himself was there as the most holy. What a remarkable claim. Jesus began sinless and stayed that way all his life. It's hard for us to comprehend that. But you know, you'd, you'd want to go over if you saw the little baby tweak his toes to see if he was really real. We were born with inbred sin or a carnal nature, a rebellion against God that came down from Adam and Eve. You know, humans can be perfected in God's sight as we yield our wills to God. God sees that we are trying to live for him, that we have put him first in our lives. We have allowed him to set our lives apart for his holy use. That would be a sanctified Christian. God looks at what we do as being perfect. We grow toward that condition as we obey and follow our Lord. I may not be perfect in your standards right now, 
but one day it'll happen to all of us as we come before God and go into his holy heaven. We'll no longer want to sin. We'll no, no longer be able to sin. You have a tremendous potential if you give your heart and life to Jesus Christ 100%. Listen, Jesus did not remain a baby. It's uh, appropriate for the pastor's manger scene that I told you about to have an adult Jesus looking down on baby Jesus because Jesus did grow up. He did die on a cross. He was resurrected. He is alive forevermore. Most people like seeing Jesus as a baby in a manger because he's non-threatening. But the resurrected Jesus is a different matter. He calls us to repentance. And Matthew chapter 4 verse 17 says, From that time Jesus began to preach saying, Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So that brings us to you. Where would you fit into the original Christmas nativity scene? We like to imagine ourselves like the humble shepherds, but too many of us live more like Herod. Oh, we're not as violent as he was, but our chief interest is in ourselves. What can Jesus do for me? What will I get out of being a Christian? That may be your only question. Well, let me give you an answer. How about if you accept Christ as your Savior, your sins are forgiven, you know, have no more guilt, you are adopted in the family of God and become a joint heir with Jesus Christ, and you will spend eternity <coughs> excuse me, in heaven with him. That sounds good to me. It sounded like the best deal I could ever find. I would encourage you to bow at the manger. The manger wasn't intended to be a tourist attraction or a knick-knack to be displayed at Christmas time. It reminds us to come to him, to bow down and worship him, to realize that he died on a cross for us. We bow at the cross, so we lay our sins, our pride at his feet. Claim your gift and find out what Christmas really means. Listen, I want to pray with you. Dear Father, thank you so much for the fact that you stepped into history, became our Savior, died on a cross for our sins because we could not help ourselves, but because you were sinless, you were able to forgive us our sins. I pray, God, that each one listening here today would do some heart searching. Make sure that they have it right with you. There's nothing between their soul and the Savior. And Lord, if they've never accepted you as their Savior, I pray this would be the day that they pray a prayer of repentance and say, God, I have sinned. Please forgive me for my sins. I promise to turn my life around and live for you. And Lord, I'll give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Now listen, if you want to get in touch with me, you know, you want to write me, it's Box 4031, Sun Valley, Arizona, 86029. If you want to get in touch with me through email or Gmail, it's lowercase r-e-v-w-m-w-w-o-o-d-s at gmail.com. But remember, I get a lot of Gmail, and so I might miss it the first time. Keep trying, and I will try to get back to you. If you want to talk to me direct, my phone number is 623-845-2741. You could also leave a text at that number, and I'll try to get back to you if you text me. 
Listen, I hope I see you at church tomorrow if you're in the area. Come to the Holbrook First Baptist Church at at 11 o'clock. They're having their cantata in the morning, but I will be bringing a sermon too. And then tomorrow night, the evening service, we'll tell you all about that as you come tomorrow. God bless you. I hope that you are doing everything you can to make this the most successful Christmas you've ever had because you're living for the Lord Jesus Christ.